Kylie McDaniel, we should start today with a story that you recently heard from a college pitching coach. What did he tell you? So Jimmy Bellinger is now the pitching coach at Clemson. In 2019, he was the pitching coach at Florida State. He was both new to that job at Florida State and new to recruiting high school players in Florida in general. So he was at a high school tournament uh, watching players and being that some of these travel teams were new to him. Before the game, he'd go talk to the travel coach and say, hey, anybody on this team that would be of interest to me, a high-level D1 team. Uh, and at that point, the one of the travel coaches, uh, Jimmy Osting, said, oh, I got this new shortstop. He's, he's kind of new. Take a look at him. I think you might like him. Mm. He watches him, and very quickly, he's like, oh, th- this is for real. Uh, this is a player that's a freshman in high school. He's 14. This is very early to be recruiting, but at this point, with the way the rules are in college baseball, that's when the very best players in the country tend to commit. So he gets really excited and he's like, I'm the pitching coach and this is a shortstop. So this is like a little out of my area of expertise, but like, I think I know special when I see it. So he calls his other coach who's in the area at a different part of the tournament at a different site and says, hey, you need to come see this kid tomorrow. Now, the funny part is Jimmy goes and sees uh, this team by himself. There's not many coaches there. It's a single field. It's a bit secluded. There's nobody else there. There's no information to hide. The second day when his colleague comes, it's at a major field in Port Charlotte at the Ray Spring Training Facility. There's four fields. Every major school is there. There's coaches all over the place. Mm. So he gets starts to get nervous. So the game starts. His colleague watches one at bat and is like, this kid's special. We need to get him. But then they see Florida. They see Miami. They see all the other coaches around. And so for the rest of the game, they take turns talking to their rival coaches, trying to make sure they turn their back to the field of the field that the shortstop is on, because they're all there to see other players on different teams. They weren't there to watch this team. This team just happens to be there. A couple months later, they commit the player. It's a pretty normal process. They come on campus. The family cares about academics. Uh, They answer all the questions. Everything goes great. None of the other schools even recruit him. There's no contact, nothing. And then a year later, he goes to a big national showcase. At this point, he's grown into his frame. He's grown into his tools. He becomes a bit of a national name. All the other schools are interested, but now it's too late. He's already committed to Florida State. So what did Jimmy Bellinger see that was so special? Well, he's looking at a player that could hit 30 home runs in the big leagues while playing shortstop, which if you even casually follow baseball, you know is essentially the thing everyone is looking for. Every team wants that guy. When these guys hit free agency, it's $200, $300 million in the draft. It's first round pick. Uh, These players rarely make it to college, which, you know, is a bit depressing for Jimmy. Right. And, you know, baseball players, the way it works, you can commit to a college, but then you enter the draft, you're in the draft anyway. And if you get selected high enough, you might take the money and you often do take the money uh, and you skip college. Uh, So that's, that's not, as we said, unusual. But this player, his path was, who is this guy? So his name is Arjun Namala. And while leading up to that point on the travel ball field was super unusual, it's also unusual just the physical gifts he has and what he's done with those just over the couple years that he's been sort of thrown in the deep end of a professional approach to becoming a baseball player. 
Strawberry Crest shortstop Arjun Namala is about to hit it big. The 17-year-old is on Major League Baseball's draft radar. He's talked with all 30 teams. This is a six-foot-one, 170-pound shortstop uh, from the state of Florida. He's one of the youngest players in the draft class, still just 17 years old. He's a Florida State commit and will likely never step foot there. He's expected to be drafted very high and will do so committed to his Indian heritage. If you take it from that time the Jimmy Bellinger started recruiting him, playing travel ball as a freshman and getting attention from D1 schools, that's a, that part essentially happens to every kid that's going to go in the first couple rounds. The difference is up until that day, he hadn't done all of the industrial complex of youth sports. He was more commonly playing cricket in India with his family. His parents were born in India. He was born and his brother were born in America. They would go every year or two, uh, visit family for a couple of weeks, and baseball doesn't really exist over there. So he would play cricket with friends. That history is highly unusual. Being an Indian baseball player, there's not many out there that are like really good. So that's pretty cool to me. But as long as I try to like make the Indian culture proud and just, just do what I can to, to do my best for them. When you think of top prospects in baseball, or really prospects today in any sport, you probably think of the kid who's been specializing from an early age, who spent countless hours with personal coaches and trainers honing their craft. And then there's Arjun Namala. Namala grew up playing cricket on his family summer trips to India. But those skills have translated pretty well to the baseball diamond. And they've made the 17-year-old a likely high first-round pick in Sunday's Major League Baseball draft. So today, Kylie McDaniel charts Damala's unusual path to professional baseball and tells us what his success would mean to a nation of more than a billion potential baseball fans. I'm Jeremy Schaap. It's Wednesday, July 5th. This is ESPN Daily. Delicious meat, nutritious. In the snack that packs a real protein punch, wonderful pistachios, one of the highest protein nuts out there. Each one ounce serving has six grams of protein, giving you over 10% of your daily value. Trust me, I've been eating them like there's no tomorrow all week. Wonderful pistachios also come in a variety of flavors and sizes, perfect for enjoying with your family and friends or taking them with you on the go. And you, like me, are on the go a lot, taking the kids to school, hopping from meeting to meeting, shopping for groceries, whatever it may be. Well, the good news is not only are Wonderful Pistachios a complete protein providing all nine essential amino acids, they're also great for all your adventures. So whether you're a pistachio purist who loves cracking open every nut or you prefer the convenience of no-shells pistachios, Wonderful Pistachios has got you covered. Grab Wonderful Pistachios and elevate your snack game today. Visit WonderfulPistachios.com to learn more. So, Kylie, Arjun Namala, who is this young man? As a prospect, he gives you the broad strokes of everything a scout is looking for. 
the power to hit 30 plus home runs, the frame and athleticism to imagine just about anything. He's also the youngest of all of the high school prospects. He has a chance to play shortstop. He's training with Francisco Lindor in the offseason to make sure he can be. And if he's not a shortstop, then he'll be a third baseman and he'll probably have even more power than expected. He was born in the U.S. His parents are both from India. There haven't been a lot of prospects from India or of Indian descent. How did baseball become his sport? So he sort of dabbled in multiple sports when he was younger, like a lot of kids do. Uh, I think because of the familiarity with cricket, I think baseball became one of those that he sort of took to uh, most easily. He played a little soccer, a little basketball. And then as he got to high school age, he kind of realized like, oh, okay, baseball's like, it's probably my best sport and I'll start focusing on that now. Uh, And then everything just very quickly came together. Do we have any sense of how good he was and how much he got to play cricket when he would go back to his parents' native country over the summer up until about the age of 12? The way he described it to me was sort of like this was the thing you did during the day with the kids in the neighborhood while, you know, the parents cooked dinner. And he explained to me that the the throwing or bowling part of it, pitching, if you're a baseball fan that isn't familiar with cricket, you have to throw it with a stiff arm and he couldn't do it. It just it just didn't work. And then he'd swing a bat. And as you can probably imagine, there's some real thunder in those hands. So being a batsman, to use the proper terminology, that that agreed with him. Back in the U.S., though, how old is he when he starts playing baseball? Playing baseball at a young age, uh, sort of the casual, like, little league type stuff. Um, and I think starts taking baseball seriously around 12, 13. And then 14, you get into sort of high school age travel ball. That's when it kind of turns on. He's in Florida. I mean, the absolute hotbed, the cradle, right, of great baseball players. And so how does somebody who has talent, how do they escape this whole complex of travel teams and all-star teams and private coaching and all that that you think, you know, the first the first time he throws or hits the ball and somebody can see that he's special, they would try to just wrap him up and put him into the program. I get the impression that both parents weren't super aware of the youth industrial sports complex and that Mm. Little League was a thing everyone does. And also, I think, wanted him to have a well-rounded, rich life without pushing him into a thing and making him do it full time until it was obvious like he liked it and he was good at it. And then once it became clear, like this is his thing, he loves it, he's good at it. Let's throw him into the deep end. Let's get him some sort of professional level instruction and sort of see where this can go. Like it it seems like a really well-meaning version of being protective and it's just really worked out well. I think there probably is some benefit in not instilling in him the values that often come with playing very competitive travel ball Mm. early in life where oftentimes being robotic and doing what you're told and making sure you can win the game can sometimes instill some bad habits and some sort of, uh, you know, a stiff demeanor. Whereas he has a very loose, fun way of playing the game uh, that you often don't see when you go see the high school version of the kids that go through this sort of like everyday year round ringer. They tend to be a little bit robotic, and that's kind of the opposite of what he is. Eventually, though, the system finds him, the system identifies him. And what happens then? Well, then the sort of major league scouts, the draft system, all of that stuff sort of descends upon him. So like my job, 
I would say my primary version of my job is keeping track of prospects for the draft. I became aware of him a year before the sort of year-long process of scouting guys for the draft began. And I immediately noticed when I saw his name, like, oh, I don't know that name. And so I look into it and I immediately notice that he's the youngest guy in his class, which you may not know this, but there has been a thing happening in baseball the last six, seven years, where, as you can imagine, uh, the after effects, the wake of Moneyball is teams are often uh, outsourcing some of the decision making power in scouting and evaluation to computers. They all have their models for both minor league players, draft players, college players, the whole thing. I've done this empirical work when I was with the Braves. This one data point can move a player from the second round to the first round. Just this one piece of information, which is if you are a high school position player that plays in the field and you are younger than average. That is worth an entire round, sometimes two rounds worth of development uh, and bonus money. And Arjun is the youngest kid of all the top prospects in his class. So in addition to all of these unusual things about him, he also has maybe the single most important thing for projecting upside, which he mm. already has more than everyone else anyway. Was there any kind of skepticism about his potential just based on the fact that there was so little track record there? You dream of the day finding a prospect that you can dream on. And Arjun allows you to sort of dream anything. This kid has the potential, unlikely, but potential, to be the face of a franchise just on talent alone, not even speaking to, you know, the the opening up of like a new subcontinent to the game of baseball and to MLB and, you know, TV deals and like all these things uh, that sort of the, the gross versions of capitalism would tell us could happen if this really works. Just on talent, he could also be a Trevor Story, Carlos Correa, Javier Baez level talent, which is already like a very notable thing, like household names. Coming up, the enormous potential impact if Arjun Namala makes it to the big leagues. Vivid Seats wants to get you to the games you love this spring. Experience every pitch, assist, and game-winning shot live and in person. And the best part? Each transaction is a step toward a free 11th ticket with Vivid Seats rewards. Score unbeatable perks like free tickets, surprise seat upgrades, and annual birthday deals. As the official ticketing partner of ESPN, Vivid Seats is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with code DAILY. That's code DAILY. Visit VividSeats.com or download the app today. Vivid Seats. Experience it live. Now let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac weighing heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue, and ready for the play. And boom, Añejo Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good. The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the hypnotic team. Every season is hypnotic and tequila season. Hypnotic liqueur, Bardstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Kylie, you've been doing this a long time. You've seen thousands of young prospects. When you look at Arjun, what do you see in terms of his future. So one scout described to me uh, that this spring, Arjun had the best combination of batting practice and infield practice from a high school player he'd ever seen. 
if you watch him take infield, uh, you see that he's got uh, the hands, the flexibility, uh, the arm to play shortstop. You wonder, given his frame, is he going to put on 20, 30 pounds of muscle, lose a step, and have to slide over to third base? No problem. He'd probably be above average there. But that's sort of the question. Is it shortstop or third base? But the selling point is the raw power. And the unique thing about his batting practice is oftentimes with high school players, you'll see a batting practice show where they essentially have a version of like a slow pitch softball swing, where they're just trying to pull everything down the line, lift everything with a swing that doesn't really work in a game. Uh, And what Arjun would do is try to hit every ball up the middle, and he would be hitting it over the batter's eye in center field and would almost look disappointed when he would pull the ball down the line. I've been told he's gone to workouts and has uh, faced all the other best high school hitters in this draft class, has had higher exit velos and more power than all of them, and in some cases out slugging the college players as a 17-year-old <laughs> that also can play the infield. Um, so you put all that stuff together, and you again, you just imagine, given the age, being a little new to baseball, you imagine all this stuff, but the question comes down to how much is he going to hit? And the challenge is his performance over the summer with wood bats against the best competition was just okay, good, not great, And the spring, he'd be great some days and just okay some days. But the thing that makes you feel better is I think he has got what it takes between the ears, mental makeup, the approach to the game. Every team I've talked to has said they they term it plus makeup, um, suggesting, you know, work ethic, ability to make adjustments, all these sorts of things. When you talk about swing mechanics, bat speed, the approach to the game, uh, pitch selection, he has all the components to hit. And because he's been younger than everyone he's faced, you want to make an adjustment in his favor. You just don't have an objective way to know how much that adjustment is. So Mm. the single most important thing is can he hit? Everyone thinks he probably will, but no one's convinced. They have to decide how much faith they want to put in him to continue beating expectations. Is he going to hit enough and be the face of your franchise? Or is he just going to be okay and hit, you know, 230 with 12 home runs and be an extra guy? Maybe not even make the big leagues. Because all of these things are on the table. His range of possibilities may be the widest of everyone in the draft. You talked about uh, the mental makeup. And you've written about these conversations you had with him. And there's this, like, preternatural maturity. What's it like having a conversation with him? So I had heard he was an impressive young man. And I know I'd be writing about, you know, him and his background and things, but I wanted it not to just be his family's from India. Like that's not the most notable thing about him. He's notable as a player and a person. And he also happens to have this unique background. So I wanted to try to challenge him a bit, ask him tough questions. I've talked to enough baseball players. A lot of them are like kind of boring and they don't have much of an interior life imagining what baseball is. And I would also say as a scout, sometimes I want a player who is just smart enough to do what I tell them to do, uh, but not smart enough to question what I'm telling them. (laughs) That's kind of the ideal because... uh, You want coachable. You don't want independent thinkers. You don't want Bill Spaceman Lee is what you're saying. Well, look, I'll... I'll, I I I mean, to make a 1960s, 70s (laughs) baseball reference, which is... Timely, yes. About as good as I could do. Sorry. Well, just to speak to my baseball experience, I was not very good. And part of it was because I was thinking about everything at all times. So, like, I understand that there is, like, a limitation to what you can do if you can't turn your brain off. And so I wanted to ask him some tough questions. And I asked him a question about, like, what if an umpire makes three objectively terrible calls, three balls that are all a foot outside, and you get, you know, called out on strikes? What is your reaction to that? How are you going to deal with failure that's not even your fault? And he basically lands on a a natural answer that is what a politician would say, which is, 
Because they're just trying to do their job as best they can. And all I'm trying to do is hit the ball, put the ball in play, get to first base, help my team, really. And if an umpire has a bad call, which I disagree with, I don't really, I'm not the type to really argue with them. Oh, that's a, that's not a strike. No, I'm not that type. I just kind of like take that in mind what type of zone he has. And I, I kind of adjust to that because for me, I, I'd rather try to adjust to what he's doing than get myself out and then argue with him. And I was like, I don't think many guys in the big leagues would answer that question that way mm. because that is like sort of the objective correct answer is not to just be like, well, the ump messed up, it's his fault. It's like, you don't want to hear that because that sort of speaks to how he'll deal with failing at least seven, if not eight out of 10 times at the plate. You have to be able to internalize what could you do and not blame everything on something else. I'm not a big uh, angry type of guy. I, I'm more, of, I, I think about it more and I think about what I could have done better. Even though I do disagree with what the umpire has been calling and stuff like that, I try to try to think about why I also failed because not all three pitches are going to be bad for him. I yeah. had to get a guy one pitch in there that I should have hit or something I should have like put a bat on. So I'm going to see you in the minor leagues, like strike out, go in the dugout, yeah. just take the water. Throw no, never. I, I've never done that in my life. And I hope that I never do that in the future. And I was like, this kid's 17 and just started mm. playing baseball a few years ago at a serious level. And I talk to draft prospects all the time that I kind of worry we'll never think about baseball in that sort of uh, complex way. So you're saying that he kind of might need, because he has this tendency towards introspection and honesty, he might need some media training. Like Crash Davis type media training is what you He needs say. to learn how to mislead the media and get boring right. answers like Bill Belichick. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It, well, for me, it's... I don't know, Jeremy, like, you're obviously a baseball fan. You've seen what, like, Ellie De La Cruz and the enthusiasm and joy of youth in the big leagues is happening and how these guys with a lot of energy and enthusiasm for the game, like Acuna and Tatis and these guys are becoming the face of the game and the pitch clock is making the game faster. They're encouraging athletes and stolen bases. I kind of want somebody that's introspective and can talk about the game the way Joey Votto does or Greg Maddox did mm. that also was really good. And if he also appeals to another market that doesn't currently pay attention to baseball, like, even better. Like he, he, when I asked Arjun if, if he was interested in if one day being like an ambassador to where, you know, India would care about watching his games. And he immediately said, yeah, it would be great if India watched me the way that Japan stopped to watch Otani in the WBC. I would love if we had a team that made the WBC and, and like it could become that kind of sport. So for him, though, you know, how much extra attention is there because of his unique heritage, unique in, in, in the world of baseball? And, and how much does it matter to him to be a pioneer as uh, someone of South Asian descent in this game? Well, there's not a lot of examples. Uh, the last uh, two drafts, um, Kumar Rocker went in the first round and his mother is second generation uh, Indian American. So he was the first player of Indian heritage to go in the first round. Uh, and I asked Arjun, are there other players with backgrounds similar to yours that I'm not aware of? Because I wasn't aware of other ones. And he, he named a few that were, you know, committed to Division I colleges. And there was a, a player of Indian American heritage that went in the fifth round uh, in 2020. Like, there, there's examples. There was the, the movie Million Dollar Arm was based around the idea of, of signing a few players out of India that played cricket. Uh, and their careers, you know, went about as you, as you would expect. Like, they were pioneers, but they didn't necessarily make the big leagues. Um, so there's like been some examples, but the the idea of uh, both both parents coming from India and being a potential top half of the first round talent, that specific thing has never happened before. His family, which you said, you know, just a few years ago was totally unfamiliar with this whole baseball ecosystem. How are they adapting 
to this now. Well, you know, reminds you that when he committed, his family barely knew about the recruiting process. He said his mom didn't know what a shortstop was when he committed as a freshman to Florida State as a shortstop. Um, he, he described it as being very supportive. Obviously, his brother's on the team, so and has committed to a Vision One school at UCF. So they're getting much more uh, updated and familiar with the whole process of all of this stuff. Um, and his dad is not hard to find. If you, if you go to the game, uh, you can find his dad kind of pacing around, like watching every at bat. Uh, I went to the combine where Arjun was doing some interviews with teams. I saw his dad walking around, kind of waiting for him to finish with his interviews. So I think they're the proud parents that want to support their kid, which I think is understandable. Mm. And you know, there's this new professional league in baseball, Middle East and South Asia, that's starting playing a few months, United Baseball League. Barry Larkin's one of the key figures. I interviewed him a couple of weeks ago about it and their teams in Mumbai and Islamabad. Um, and, and I mean, the, the timing here, right? If you have a first round draft pick of South Asian descent in the US and you have a baseball league that's getting started in India and Pakistan, and it's also going to be probably a couple of the Gulf nations, that's, that could be a big business deal, as you suggested. Yeah, I, there's always been a suspicion that there are so many people in China, if we introduce them to this sport, well, they love it. In India, they already love cricket, and cricket has a lot of similarities to baseball. I wonder if they'll love it. We, you never really know until there's like some proof of concept. We just don't have any real evidence yet. Speaking of projections, where do you see them going? So there's interest in the top 10 picks. Uh, when I was there, uh, there were two GMs, one picking inside of the top five, where I don't think he'll go there, but I think there's been some workouts, some conversations there. I think starting at pick six or seven, there's interest all the way through 10. And I would say his floor is somewhere around pick 17 to 20 is about as low as he could go. And so my latest projection, I had him going 13th to the Cubs, where I heard he had an excellent uh, workout. Um, so I think that's kind of right in his sweet spot is you know right after 10, but before 15 to 17. And what kind of deal do you get if you're the 13th pick? So the suggested draft slot at that 13th spot, uh, 13th pick of the Cubs that I projected him to is uh, $4.84 million. So if it's if it's all that money, I guess the whole Florida State thing, that's uh, that's out of the question right now. Is that what you're saying, Kylie? Well, it's actually in Jimmy Bellinger's interest that he turns pro because he's a Clemson now, so he doesn't want to face him for three years. <laughs> <laughs> Kylie McDaniel. Thank you for bringing us this story. Yep. Thanks for having me. Hopefully we'll have even more interesting stories on Sunday in our MLB draft broadcast. I'm Jeremy Schapp. This has been ESPN Daily. We'll talk to you tomorrow.